Part two of the Astral Plane by Charles Webster Ledbetter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Scenery. First of all, then, it must be understood that the astral plane has seven subdivisions, each of which has its corresponding degree of materiality and its corresponding condition of matter. Now, numbering these from the highest and least material downwards, we find that they naturally fall into three classes, divisions one, two, and three forming one such class, and four, five, and six another, while the seventh and lowest of all stands alone. The difference between the matter of one of these classes and the next would be commensurable with that between a solid and a liquid, while the difference between the matter of the subdivisions of a class would rather resemble that between two kinds of solid, such as, say, steel and sand. Putting aside for the moment the seventh, we may say that divisions four, five, and six of the astral plane have for their background the physical world we live in, and all its familiar accessories. Life on the sixth division is simply our ordinary life on this earth, minus the physical body and its necessities, while as it ascends through the fifth and fourth divisions, it becomes less and less material, and is more and more withdrawn from our lower world and its interests. The scenery of these lower divisions, then, is that of the earth as we know it, but it is also very much more, for when looked at from this different standpoint, with the assistance of the astral senses, even purely physical objects present a very different appearance. As has already been mentioned, they are seen by one whose eyes are fully opened, not as usual from one point of view, but from all sides at once, an idea in itself sufficiently confusing and when we add to this that every particle in the interior of a solid body is as fully and clearly visible as those on the outside, it will be comprehended that under such conditions even the most familiar objects may at first be totally unrecognisable. Yet a moment's consideration will show that such vision approximates much more closely to true perception than does physical sight. Looked at on the astral plane, for example, the sides of a glass cube, would all appear equal, as they really are, while on the physical plane we see the further side in perspective, that is, it appears smaller than the nearer side, which is of course a mere illusion. It is this characteristic of astral vision which has led to its sometimes being spoken of as sight in the fourth dimension, a very suggestive and expressive phrase. But in addition to these possible sources of error, matters are further complicated by the fact that astral sight cognizes forms of matter which, while still purely physical, are nevertheless invisible under ordinary conditions. Such, for example, are the particles composing the atmosphere, all the various emanations which are always being given out by everything that has life, and also four grades of a still finer order of physical matter, which, for want of more distinctive names, must all be described as etheric. The latter form a kind of system by themselves, freely interpenetrating all other physical matter, and the investigation of their vibrations and the manner in which various higher forces affect them would in itself constitute a vast field of deeply interesting study for any man of science who possessed the requisite sight for its examination. Even when our imagination has fully grasped all that is comprehended in what has already been said, we do not yet understand half the complexity of the problem, for besides all these new forms of physical matter, 
we have to deal with the still more numerous and perplexing subdivisions of astral matter. We must note, firstly, that every material object, every particle even, has its astral counterpart, and this counterpart is itself not a simple body, but is usually extremely complex, being composed of various kinds of astral matter. In addition to this, each living creature is surrounded with an atmosphere of its own, usually called its aura, and in the case of human beings, this aura forms of itself a very fascinating branch of study. It is seen as an oval mass of luminous mist of highly complex structure, and from its shape has sometimes been called the auric egg. Theosophical readers will hear with pleasure that even at the early stage of his development, at which the pupil begins to acquire this astral sight, he is able to assure himself, by direct observation, of the accuracy of the teaching given through our great founder, Madame Blavatsky, on the subject of some at least of the seven principles of man. In regarding his fellow man, he no longer sees only his outer appearance. Exactly coextensive with that physical body, he clearly distinguishes the etheric double, which in theosophical literature has usually been called the linga sharira, while the jiva, as it is absorbed and specialized into prana, as it circulates in rosy light throughout the body, as it eventually radiates from the healthy person in its altered form, is also perfectly obvious. Most brilliant and easily seen of all, perhaps, though belonging to quite a different order of matter, the astral, is the karmic aura, which expresses by its vivid and ever-changing flashes of colour the different desires which sweep across the man's mind from moment to moment. This is the true astral body. Behind that, and consisting of a finer grade of matter, that of the rupa levels of Devachan, lies the Devachanic body or aura of the lower manas, whose colours, changing only by slow degrees as the man lives his life, show the disposition and character of the personality. While still higher and infinitely more beautiful, where it all clearly developed, is the living light of the Karana Sharira, the aura or vehicle of the higher manas, which shows the stage of development of the real ego in its passage from birth to birth. But to see these, the pupil must have developed something more than mere astral vision. It will save the student much trouble if he learns at once to regard these auras not as mere emanations, but as the actual manifestation of the ego on their respective planes, if he understands that it is the auric egg which is the real man, not the physical body, which on this plane crystallizes in the middle of it. So long as the reincarnating ego remains upon the plane, which is his true home in the Arupa levels of Devachan, the body which he inhabits is the Karana Sharira. But when he descends into the Rupa levels, he must, in order to be able to function upon them, clothe himself in their matter, and the matter that he thus attracts to himself furnishes his Devachanic or mind-body. Similarly, descending into the astral plane, he forms his astral or karmic body out of its matter, though of course still retaining all the other bodies, and on his still further descent to this lowest plane of all, the physical body is formed in the midst of the auric egg, which thus contains the entire man. Fuller accounts of these auras will be found in transaction number 18 of the London Lodge, and in a recent article of mine in The Theosophist. But enough has been said here to show that as they all occupy the same space, 
which, by the way, they share also with the physical health aura, the finer interpenetrating the grosser. It needs careful study and much practice to enable the neophyte to distinguish clearly at a glance the one from the other. Nevertheless, the human aura, or more usually some one part of it only, is not infrequently one of the first purely astral objects seen by the untrained, though in such a case its indications are naturally very likely to be misunderstood. Though the karmic aura from the brilliancy of its flashes of colour may often be more conspicuous, the nerve ether and the etheric double are really of a much denser order of matter, being strictly speaking within the limits of the physical plane, though invisible to ordinary sight. It has been the custom in theosophical literature to describe the linga sharira as the astral counterpart of the human body, the word astral having been usually applied to everything beyond the cognition of our physical senses. As closer investigation enables us to be more precise in the use of our terms, however, we find ourselves compelled to admit much of this invisible matter as purely physical, and therefore to define the linga sharira no longer as the astral, but as the etheric double. This seems an appropriate name for it, since it consists of various grades of that matter which scientists call ether, though this proves on examination to be not a separate substance, as has been generally supposed, but a condition of finer subdivision than the gaseous, to which any kind of physical matter may be reduced by the application of the appropriate forces. The name etheric double will therefore for the future be used in theosophic writings instead of linga sharira, and this change will not only give us the advantage of an English name, which is clearly indicative of the character of the body to which it is applied, but will also relieve us from the frequent misunderstandings which have arisen from the fact that an entirely different signification is attached in all Oriental books to the name we have hitherto been using. It must not, however, be supposed that in making this alteration in nomenclature we are in any way putting forward a new conception. We are simply altering, for the sake of greater accuracy, the labels previously attached to certain facts in nature. If we examine with psychic faculty the body of a newly born child, we shall find it permeated not only by astral matter of every degree of density, but also by the several grades of etheric matter, and if we take the trouble to trace these inner bodies backwards to their origin, we find that it is of the latter that the etheric double, the mould upon which the physical body is built up, is formed by the agents of the lords of karma, while the astral matter has been gathered together by the descending ego, not of course consciously but automatically, as he passes through the astral plane. See Manual number 4, page 44. Into the composition of the etheric double must enter something of all the different grades of etheric matter, but the proportions may vary greatly, and are determined by several factors, such as the race, sub-race, and type of a man, as well as by his individual karma. When it is remembered that these four subdivisions of matter are made up of numerous combinations, which in their turn form aggregations that enter into the composition of the atom, of the so-called element of the chemist, it will be seen that this second principle of man is highly complex, and the number of its possible variations practically infinite, so that, however complicated and unusual a man's karma may be, the lipika are able to give a mould in accordance with which a body exactly suiting it can be formed.
one other point deserves mention in connection with the appearance of physical matter when looked at from the astral plane and that is that the astral vision possesses the power of magnifying at will the minutest physical particle to any desired size as though by a microscope though its magnifying power is enormously greater than that of any microscope ever made or ever likely to be made the hypothetical molecule and atom postulated by science are therefore visible realities to the occult student though the latter recognizes them as much more complex in their nature than the scientific man has yet discovered them to be here again is a vast field of study of absorbing interest to which a whole volume might readily be devoted and a scientific investigator who should acquire this astral sight in perfection would not only find his experiments with ordinary and known phenomena immensely facilitated but would also see stretching before him entirely new vistas of knowledge needing more than a lifetime for their thorough examination for example one curious and very beautiful novelty brought to his notice by the development of this vision would be the existence of other and entirely different colours beyond the limits of the ordinary visible spectrum the ultra-red and ultra-violet rays which science has discovered by other means being plainly perceptible to astral sight we must not however allow ourselves to follow these fascinating bypaths but must resume our endeavour to give a general idea of the appearance of the astral plane it will by this time be obvious that though as above stated the ordinary objects of the physical world form the background to life on certain levels of the astral plane yet so much more is seen of their real appearance and characteristics that the general effect differs widely from that with which we are familiar for the sake of illustration take a rock as an example of the simpler class of objects when regarded with trained sight it is no mere inert mass of stone first of all the whole of the physical matter of the rock is seen instead of a very small part of it secondly the vibrations of its physical particles are perceptible thirdly it is seen to possess an astral counterpart composed of various grades of astral matter whose particles are also in constant motion fourthly the jiva or universal life is seen to be circulating through it and radiating from it fifthly an aura will be seen surrounding it though this is of course much less extended and varied than in the case of the higher kingdoms sixthly its appropriate elemental essence is seen permeating it ever active but ever fluctuating in the case of the vegetable animal and human kingdoms the complications are naturally much more numerous it may be objected by some readers that no such complexities as these are described by most of the psychics who occasionally get glimpses of the astral world nor are they reported at seances by the entities that manifest there but this is readily accounted for few untrained persons on that plane whether living or dead see things as they really are until after very long experience even those who do see fully are often too dazed and confused to understand or remember and among the very small minority who both see and remember there are hardly any who can translate the recollection into language on our lower plane many untrained psychics never examine their visions scientifically at all they simply obtain an impression which may be quite correct but may also be half false or even wholly misleading 
all the more probable does the latter hypothesis become when we take into consideration the frequent tricks played by sportive denizens of the other world against which the untrained person is usually absolutely defenceless it must also be remembered that the regular inhabitant of the astral plane whether he be human or elemental is under ordinary circumstances conscious only of the objects of that plane physical matter being to him as entirely invisible as is astral matter to the majority of mankind since as before remarked every physical object has its astral counterpart which would be visible to him it may be thought that the distinction is a trivial one yet it is an essential part of the symmetrical conception of the subject if however an astral entity constantly works through a medium these finer astral senses may gradually be so coarsened as to become insensible to the higher grades of matter on their own plane and to include in their purview the physical world as we see it instead but only the trained visitor from this life who is fully conscious on both planes can depend upon seeing both clearly and simultaneously be it understood then that the complexity exists and that only when it is fully perceived and scientifically unravelled is there perfect security against deception or mistake for the seventh or lowest subdivision of the astral plane also this physical world of ours may be said to be the background though what is seen is only a distorted and partial view of it since all that is light and good and beautiful seems invisible it was thus described four thousand years ago in the egyptian papyrus of the scribe ani what manner of place is this unto which i have come it hath no water it hath no air it is deep unfathomable it is black as the blackest night and men wander helplessly about therein in it a man may not live in quietness of heart for the unfortunate entity on that level it is indeed true that all the earth is full of darkness and cruel habitations but it is darkness which radiates from within himself and causes his existence to be passed in a perpetual night of evil and horror a very real hell though like all other hells entirely of man's own creation most students find the investigation of this section an extremely unpleasant task for there appears to be a sense of density and gross materiality about it which is indescribably loathsome to the liberated astral body causing it the sense of pushing its way through some black viscous fluid while the inhabitants and influences encountered there are also usually exceedingly undesirable the first second and third subdivisions seem much further removed from this physical world and correspondingly less material entities inhabiting these levels lose sight of the earth and its belongings they are usually deeply self-absorbed and to a large extent create their own surroundings though these are not purely subjective as in devachan but on the contrary sufficiently objective to be perceptible to other entities and also to clairvoyant vision this region is beyond doubt the summerland of which we hear so much at spiritualistic seances and the entities who descend from and describe it are probably often speaking the truth as far as their knowledge extends it is on these plains that spirits call into temporary existence their houses schools and cities for these objects are often real enough for the time though to a clearer sight they may sometimes be pitiably unlike what their delighted creators suppose them to be nevertheless 
many of the imaginations that take form there are of real though temporary beauty and a visitor who knew of nothing higher might wander contentedly enough there among forests and mountains lovely lakes and pleasant flower gardens or might even construct such surroundings to suit his own fancies it may be said in passing that communication is limited on the astral plane by the knowledge of the entity just as it is here while a person able to function freely on that plane can communicate with any of the human entities there present more readily and rapidly than on earth by means of mental impressions the inhabitants themselves do not usually seem able to exercise this power but appear to be restricted by limitations similar to those that prevail on earth though perhaps less rigid the result of this is that they are found associating there as here in groups drawn together by common sympathies beliefs and language an account of the scenery of the astral plane would be incomplete without mention of what are commonly called the records of the astral light the photographic representation of all that has ever happened these records are really and permanently impressed upon that higher medium called the akasha and are only reflected in a more or less spasmodic manner in the astral light so that one whose power of vision does not rise above this plane will be likely to obtain only occasional and disconnected pictures of the past instead of a coherent narrative but nevertheless pictures of all kinds of past events are constantly being reproduced on the astral plane and form an important part of the surroundings of the investigator there End of part two.